I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome back to the show. This is The Shaper Shack, a four-part series of conversations with some of Australia's finest board builders. Today is the third installment. In March 2019, Visla was hosting the Sydney Surf Pro, and they brought shapers in from around the country to showcase their talents in a shaping bay on the beach. It was my responsibility to capture their stories. And so these are those conversations. Today's guests are Darcy Day, Michael Salakis, Alex Cruz, and the father and son team of Phil and Parrish Byrne. Before we get to that, though, today's show is made possible by waterwaystravel.com. Waterways is a boutique surf travel agency with decades of experience traveling and developing relationships with hotel owners, surf guides, photographers. All of this amounts to unrivaled experience to provide surfers like you and me and our families highly personalized travel advice and execution that we can trust. Waterways is known for finding off the beaten track destinations. Sean Murphy and a couple of his key employees spend time visiting the world's newest, best properties, checking them out and optimizing how to travel to and from them to simplify and streamline your and my experience. So where do they go, you might ask? Namotu, Barren Island, Samoa, Panama, El Salvador, Roti, South Africa, and dozens more options. So travel intelligently with expertly crafted surf travel. 
These are great partners of the show, waterwaystravel.com, or you can link over to it from surfsplendorpodcast.com, where you can also find everything that we discuss in today's show. So without further ado, my name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you're enjoying The Shaper Shack. Here is part three. Enjoy. Darcy Day, I'm from Torquay, uh, 21 going on 22 pretty soon, and um, a shape out of my friend Sharma's Bay in Torquay, who's here as well, and my kind of board label I've started to develop now is called Baby Boards, so it's a bit of an off spin of my name because I was going to do D-Day, and it's just like a spin around of the D's and just kind of like a play on words sort of thing, but yeah, that's what I'm doing. You're young. How long have you been building boards? Uh, I sort of got a start into like dabbling, playing with boards when I was sort of 16. Like a summer holidays, I started ripping the glass off boards to make finless boards because I had an old board of Derek Hines. And so I was doing a lot of finless surfing. And then sort of like maybe a year later or so, Morris Cole said to me, like, I'll come out to my place and you can just have a key and come in and start making boards. So I've pretty much been doing boards since I was like, yeah, 16, 17. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's pretty big for Maurice to just give you the key. Yeah. And access. Yeah. How did that happen and why do you think he did that? Uh, I guess um, he's kind of get, like getting on a, a little bit now and his factory was kind of like a, an old chook shed out on a farm. And I'd been getting boards off him since I was like 10. So I knew him pretty well. And my dad had like, he's quite political in the town. So my dad had worked with him a little bit on doing stuff like that. So we had like a pretty, like an already based relationship there. And he just said, yeah, you can come out. And I guess partly too, he's sort of inspired by, I guess what's going, like he spends a lot of time in California and there's a lot of young guys making boards. So I guess he wanted to like foster that or like allow that to happen for people around, like for young crew around our area um because there's not that many people doing it and stuff yeah i did a couple of podcasts with him and that's one of the things he said to me Mm. was that he's concerned about um the industry like basically backfilling the industry with talent yeah yeah um yeah totally like he he, um because he has such a different view on it too well not a different view but like he definitely comes from a different angle with it yeah i think he wants his whole knowledge and way he thinks about stuff it's super valuable to learn and, and really good. So It'd be a shame if that went away without yeah, passing it. Yeah, down. totally. So totally. what was your interest? Was it in just shaping boards or do you have any interest in laminating and Um Well in the beginning it was pretty much just shaping. Like I was really, really just like wanting to shape, but um basically from just going down there and stuff, I had to like learn to glass my own boards and stuff. And then as I finished school I, I just asked for a job because I wanted to be able to sand boards and work so I could kind of do the, like learn and, and shape as I went. And I eventually just w- ended up working there as a laminator and a sander. So I like, my full-time job is to be a glasser and sander. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I eventually got really into the laminating side and stuff as well. Okay. And for partly for a bit there, the shaping sort of took like a back seat and I just really focused on glassing. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I'm curious about that Derek Hine board that you had and what, what your interest is in finless surfing and why. Um, well, 
really good friend of ours, uh, Mick Sowry, he made Musica Surfica and The Reef. And he had like this old Derek board and I like completely lost all interest in surfing. I was probably not surfing at all for at least two years. And I just like, I just wanted, I was riding like a, a layers or a liars or whatever. And I just didn't like how they didn't paddle. So he said, I'll give this a go because it was an actual surfboard. And it was really great because you could catch waves and then you got that finless slide and stuff. So that's kind of where, um, you know, I kind of got into it for, through that, through just like the need to wanting to catch waves a bit easier. Why had you lost your passion for surfing? Um, I did like contests and stuff as a kid, like really young. And I grew up surfing in Apollo Bay, which is like, it's a whole different sort of uh, environment. It's quite like, uh, quite raw and stuff. And you end up surfing a lot on your own and then doing contests and stuff, going up to Torquay and to go do these contests. It just, the whole thing didn't sit with me very well. I, I just didn't like it. And it, and it changed um, as I grew up. I just didn't like how the surf scene developed as a, like a young person and stuff. I just lost interest in this sort of like competitive side of it. And, and uh, yeah, I guess, um, I don't know how you, it just kind of people, it just didn't feel like uh, it became a different thing for, other than just like a really enjoyable act of going surfing. And I don't know, it's just a, di a different view on it, I guess. And the friction free thing is, the exact opposite of that and yeah totally and like at that time like i was kind of young so it was inspired by like all ryan birch and stuff that was like their whole just a whole different side to it that was like starting to get really broadcasted and like mainstream i guess okay yeah um so despite those things the board that you shape today in the shaping bay looks more like a kind of contest driven thruster, yeah right? like it's a conventional board i yeah because for me, it's really funny. I went from doing the finless and then like I was shaping finless boards at Morris's and then I was doing asymmetrics and then I like was getting boards off him as well. And I started to like wanting to go back to getting more and more and more conventional and especially like under his influence, he was like, you need to start doing more conventional stuff so you know what it's doing. So I, he was like, he said to me one day, he's like, I'm banning you from doing asymmetrics. I know why you're doing them because they're easy. You don't have to make both sides the same. So I was like, okay, like I'll start like trying to do a symmetrical shortboard. So like for the last two years or three years now, I've been like on this trip of doing a conventional shortboard to like understand and like learn like proper knowledge rather than just like doing crazy ideas and writing them and not knowing why they didn't work or why they worked or... Yeah. It's a lot easier to control the variables once you have like everything symmetrical and you know um yeah totally yeah. and coming from like learning to glass learning to sand you get really process driven and so you really want to become a craftsman and learn the skills because i was listening to one of your podcasts actually and dave palmer said like half of what you're um judged on is your ability to have it symmetrical and that's like as a shaper, like that's something you're trying to achieve. And I sort of started to think like, I really need to trim myself in and get to that stage. Yeah, good, mm. that's interesting. Yeah. So can you explain exactly what you did shape today? Yeah, so I shaped a five nine by 19, two and three sixteenths for Sharma. And um, the reason why I did that board is he, him and I sort of, we work pretty closely together. Like I shape out of his bay and 
uh, we talk like a lot about design and he sort of like mentors me a little bit as well. So um, he'd been making these two plus ones and we'd both been writing them and they were really, really good, but they didn't quite go that well in small waves. And just that kind of like whole feeling, I wanted to take a little bit of that, but make it work in sort of a groveler. So it's like, well, not so much a groveler, but like just smaller, less uh, refined waves. Um, and just trying to take a little bit of those feelings, but not so much like trying to duplicate that into a small wave board, just like a little bit of the, just the flow and the way they, they run those boards. Um, and sort of just taking like a little bit from what you know about short boards and a little bit of what you know about those and trying to meet in the middle somewhere. Very cool. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of effort for you to get here. I mean, you're coming from Victoria on a plane with a blank with your tools then a train, I would imagine, then the ferry over, yeah, then yeah. a car ride over. Why participate in this event, given all the effort? Um, I guess, like, when you're younger, it's really nice to be, like, asked and included into stuff like this. It's, like, a really good opportunity to just come out and check out other shapers. And I guess it's good just to, you know, like, I, not that I'm super business concerned or brand concerned or anything, but it is nice to, like, get yourself out there a little bit and... Um, for me, mainly, it's just really great to come out and watch other shapes, especially people that you wouldn't probably otherwise get to watch, like a Simon Anderson or something. And, um, yeah, it's just like a nice experience to come and do. It is a lot of effort, and um, but it's kind of worth it, I guess. What do you get out of that, out of watching guys like Simon? Uh, mainly, like, you get to watch, like, sort of the way they shape, and then it's just sort of inspiring being around them, and you might have a chat with them about something, and they give you... It's funny when you talk to an old guy like or an older shaper, they'll say one thing and it's like a, a really small, probably off-the-cuff comment for them, but then it can be like the perfect uh, just like little thing for you to take and you get like a light bulb moment out of it or just something like it's just nice to take those little bits off everyone and just have like discussions and talk about things from different angles because people in like, especially shapers, they're so one way about things a lot of the time like you know they're, they're very they've gotten to a point because of so many years of shaping and then someone else has gotten to a point throughout like their shaping journey so it's you get kind of different views on things which you may not otherwise get just talking to one person yeah do you find that they're willing to engage yeah for sure that's awesome like you would think that they're quite secretive and stuff, but I think they, they're so, like, confident in themselves because they've done it for so long as well as they really... They just like talking about surfboards. They love surfboards so much. They just enjoy engaging in a conversation about surfboards so much. Yeah. Do you find any value in this sort of a thing, like this public shaping shack, shaper shack? Uh, do you find any value in it for the public at large, for people who are coming and just witnessing the event? Yeah, for sure. Like, I guess like surfboard building's kind of a mystery to a lot of people nowadays because I think surfing's expanded so much, whereas, say, in the 70s and stuff when it was, say, more of a counterculture sport, people were going and getting custom boards and engaging with shapers and stuff because it was a smaller community, whereas now it's so wide. Like, it's just surfing's reaches so much that it's really... Um, I think it's really good. People get to come and watch how a board's made and watch someone glass and see all the different processes and stuff. It's probably makes them more inclined to maybe get a custom board or work with someone, which is a really good thing because they're going to be able to get the most out of their surfing ability 
because as you progress with the shaper, you can develop boards that work for you really well. Yeah, I totally agree. For me, it's interesting to see that, um, like the general public, for the for the people who really care about surfing or about competitive surfing, mm. the best viewing experience is probably just on the computer. Like they could just stay home and watch the replays and close ups and all that. There's no point in coming down to an event like this. Mm. So what I've seen is that the people who do come down, it's engaging, first of all, a broader audience. It's not just that person who cares about the comp, but the people that do come down have an equal amount of interest in the board building as they do in the surfing. Like yeah. They'll walk down the promenade, they'll look left and watch some people surf a few waves for five minutes. Then they'll come in and watch you shape for five minutes mm. and have questions and they actually care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. For some people, I guess, like, coming down to this and seeing someone shape a board would be probably their first time seeing it. Like, it's kind of hard to come by a lot of the time, especially hand shaping. Like, when I was learning to shape, there was no one who hand shaped. Like, I didn't know anyone that hand shaped. It was, like, a really, really, really hard thing. to f Like, there was guys who hand shaped in town, but they – I didn't really have a relationship with them. So, I – like, hand shaping was, like, something I didn't even get to see. It was, like, all pre-shapes – like Morris shape, uses pre-shapes, but the way he shapes them is very like hand shapey. Mm -hmm. it's, di it's different to other people, but like to actually go and just like watch someone hand shape was like, yeah, yeah. never saw it. Yeah, which it's kind of interesting to hear that perspective because that's a modern take on things, you know? Yeah. Like for most people, they, ha they saw the machine come into effect. Mm. So they come from, they're like seeing that mm. kind of encroach on their space. So it's interesting to hear that. But also, if you want to just explore design, you have to do it by hand. You know, yeah. you can't you can't really you can just take a piece of foam and then go in there and figure out what you want to figure out with your hands. Putting it on a computer makes sense once you have the design figured out. Yeah, totally. Like it's really one thing I really like about shaping is it's the one sort of like partly engineering, partly art partly science, I guess like science and engineering, same thing, but um, that a kid can go and just like buy a blank and do themselves like something that I did and you don't need a degree to do it. You just can go at it. So with like hand shaping, it's so attainable by just any, anyone who wants to do it. Yeah. Um, like they're going to shape a pretty bad board first sure. and foremost, but like if they evolve there, it's just so tangible. Yeah. And like, I'm not anti-machine at all and I think no. machines have a really, really good place because I've worked a lot with people who are really, really into CNC and they're amazing shapers and, you know, the design exploration you can do on a machine in terms of refinement and uh, even going out and doing something different because the whole way you construct a board is completely different but it's not doesn't have that organic creation like a hand shape does, I guess. So mm -hmm. it's just two different ways of coming into it. Do you view your uh, what you're doing as a business right now? Uh, no, not really. I, I guess like for me, I make surfboards for a living. Like I glass Monday to Friday. So that's a business sense for me, but I'm like a subcontractor glasser. But for me, shaping's like a, at this point in time, it's just like a, uh, something that I'm trying to learn and trying to understand and, if I can make boards to make a bit of money and, and also shape more boards, it's really beneficial. But I don't look at it as a business right now. Mm. It's just like I think you don't you don't want to be looking at it like that too early. You kind of lose the reasons why you should be doing it. For me, like 
it's about making better boards for for yourself in the beginning and then trying to translate that to other people. Yeah. When you look at the industry, board building industry as a whole, do you have any concerns? Um Yeah, yeah, yes and no. Like I we have probably had the quietest summer we've ever had. Oh really? Yeah. But I, I, I don't know what I would put that down to. Like I just I do think like the surfboard market, there's so many boards now that you can buy. Like that's just understandable that you're not going to be doing as much. And like I don't really have anything against the whole Chinese boards or imported boards and stuff because that's not what I'm doing. Right. You know, it's not like it's just not my. I'm not even competing with that because it's I'm just on a whole just doing a whole other thing. So I guess concerns would more be, you know, you do get your occasional person who's like doesn't put in the work and they just instantaneously want like a brand or something, which, you know, that's fair enough if you want to do that as well. Like nothing like that really bothers me, maybe because I'm young and I might be the thing that bothers the older (laughs) guys. I don't know. Like it's, everyone's just doing their own thing and I just sort of like stick to my own, own, and everyone's got their own reasons why they're doing it. Yeah. Uh, How often or do you uh, ride other shapers surfboards? Um, up until pretty recently, f- uh, quite a lot, you know, I used to, I really enjoy riding other people's boards because when you're 21, you don't know everything and you don't, and you haven't been exposed to everything either. And you haven't been through the design, uh, like, uh, evolvement as much. So like a lot of older guys are just like, I'm just doing what I'm doing. Whereas for me, I really enjoy riding Sharma's boards because we work so closely and when I worked for Morris, I really enjoyed riding his boards and I've got other friends too that shape and we will always swap boards in the water and like they're on com- doing completely different stuff to me and it's really nice riding other people's boards. I find it really inspiring. Really informative. Yeah, fully. Yeah, and then you can understand their point of view as well on why they think of it like that. Yeah. Because everyone's got their slight different twist on, on what surfing should feel like or be like or look like. Uh, final question is, what was the last surfboard that you rode? Um, the last board I rode would have been, I rode a, my most recent board I made for myself, which was a 510, 18 and 5.8s, uh, 2 and 3.8s. And, three and um, yeah, like a little swallowtail, like a pretty good, like a good wave board, good wave short board. And I rode that like two hours south of where I live. So like on a really, really, really good bank and had some really good waves. Are you still riding friction free? I haven't ridden it as much, no. And I really, really want to get back to doing that. I just haven't had the time to actually shape that many boards. Like when you're going a certain way and you're trying to learn about one particular thing, it's hard to then go and, I should be doing it, but I just have been really focusing on one aspect for just a little bit. I really want to get back to doing it. planned on shaping like a 7.4 finless or something yeah. bells. It's hard. You can only surf so many days and so many sessions and still work at the same time. You yeah, know? totally. Like trying to fit in work and trying to surf and shape. It's like, and glass and sand, like, especially when you're doing it all, like you sometimes like might leave that when I got a bit more time, <laughs> like especially with all those channels and edging and stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Darcy, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, um, Mike Salakis, 49, turning 50 next month. Um, I shape it uh, just up the road at Brookvale. 
um, uh, Salaka Surfboards, my surname. Awesome. What, how'd you get into board building? Um, yeah, always interested. I was competing amateur contests at the time and around 19, 20, and I was always in the bay with my shavers. Can you do this? Can you do that? And, uh, and I was always fascinated about design and why boards work and don't work and yeah, so I thought, oh, I, I need I need something a little bit more plainy under the front foot. And I wasn't getting it, and, and I just had a thought in my mind. So I thought, let's try it out. And yeah, it was good. It was a rude shock. Thirty, 30 <laughs> years ago. Yeah, thirty years. Nineteen. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What was the shock? Ah, oh, well, the first board. I thought, man, this is easy. Um, I took it up to Newcastle. I surfed it in the Newcastle, I don't know, Newcastle Fest or I don't know. I forgot what the contest was called at the time. Um, and I thought, man, yeah, it got me through a few rounds and I thought, this is unreal, this board. And, um, super hard edge, tapered, hard rail, just went so fast. And um, I think it was just the buzz of making my own board, so I made it work. And uh, it, it did work. It, it did what I... I thought it was going to do, which was a, a good feeling. But then, you know, as a shaper, always searching for um, the best board, I found the faults after riding it more. And and it was, um, yeah, it had the drive on the front foot, but then it, uh, I'll put a lot of tail rocket, so it, it didn't have that good balance between drive off the back foot as well. So... Yeah, and then it was just that journey of perfecting that combination, that balance between front and back foot, for me personally. And um, yeah, it's been a it's been a journey and a search for that ever since. Just that feeling, and and um, I think a lot of shapers go through that. Yeah, that detail though about you said it worked well because you were just hyped that it was your own board, you know, like that level of kind of excitement, positivity, confidence, whatever it is, you almost imbue that into the board itself and it supersedes whatever design flaws the board might have. Yeah. You know? So I, uh, from that point of making that first board, uh, it's, just, it's in the back of the memory and, and, and uh, you know, then you realise as a shaper and, working for so long there's the balance there's always the balance you know what what you do in a board um will in a certain part of board will affect the other part so you can't just think focus on one aspect you got to focus on the whole thing as a holistic approach it's not just one or the other it's like the it's a combination of everything and everything working together plan shape foil um rocker the balance of the of the foam distribution from nose to tail and it, these are all the things that um as a shaper it, you learn over time and it takes a lot to master and 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 uh and then it comes to the custom side of things as well which which is like a hundred percent of what i do as a custom hand shaper um, um trying to convey those trying to put those design elements into your recreational surfer and making sure they have fun at the same time Trendy. which is which is another it's another aspect that it, it's got nothing to do with 
shaping the board. It's about interacting with the customer and finding out what they want as well and asking them questions and then asking more questions because they some, are, some people are quite shy about what they want or they're not really explaining what they want. And then I just try to get it out of them. Or they're unrealistic about their ability. Well, that too, you know, I, I kind of, <coughs> when I talk to customers, I, I kind of pick up little key things about um, what they talk to. And I'm not going to, you know, as a, as a board builder for, for um, your recreational surfer, I don't care. Like, they, they come in and talk to me about what they want and um, I, I know I'm realistic, I know what level they're at, so I'm not going to... I'm not gonna. Um, I'm gonna say, oh, hey, we're gonna we're gonna put a little bit more volume here for you, uh, make it a little bit easier, and then we'll, you know, and then I'll I'll talk to them about um, the rocker and just making them feel special, uh, and they're gonna get something that they that they want from a board, um, something a little bit bit more unique that can suit them. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I. It's important to have these conversations on air because listeners are ultimately going to go work with a shaper somewhere around the world. And I think it's important to let them know how to communicate with their shaper and the things that their shaper is looking for in communication. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, first thing is that um, I get direct feedback, uh, instant feedback from myself as a surface shaper. So, um, and then, and then I apply that in my own boards and then I apply that in my, team rider boards and then I've got my my customers who are just recreational surfers and I apply that in in their boards as well so it's um it's pretty much the same type of um I'm conveying the same design but um I'm putting trainer a little some trainer wheels on the on yeah. those boards uh, but they're still working the same they're still getting the same stoke right yeah um, what did you build or what did you shape today in the shaping bay? Today I built one of my models called the WPF, um, wide point forward. It, the wide point's five inches up from center. It's basically a, a semi gun. It's, um, so when the waves are, you know, overhead or double overhead, instead of taking out a conventional semi gun, which, it, which is like a narrower nose, it's, um, it's got a bit more width up the front, um, it's the nose is you know over 14 wide and the midpoints over 20 and um but the tail's drawn in and it can be ridden it's designed for the you know those deep water waves where there's a lot of water moving around the the wave face isn't necessarily hollow or steep it's running but it's full uh it it works better. It opens up. The board opens up when the wave's down the line and it's just running nicely. It's not doing your vertical turns, but it's just doing nice, bold, smooth turns. And it works well when there's a lot of – within this chop on the face, it cuts the water. It just has a nice feel to it at speed. What's the length? Uh, well, this one I shaped was for a customer. He's about 75 kilos. It's 6, 6, 20 by 2 and 9 sixteenths. And the rails, because it's got the width, um, and this guy's a shortboarder, I um, I made sure I foiled, a, foiled it, the rails and the volume of the board. So the rails are quite low. When you pick it up, you put it on your arm, it's, it feels more like a two and a quarter rail. Uh, I did that because um, because the shortboarders normally, shortboards are a lot narrower than that. Um, so I just wanted to keep the board agile 
and have some bite to the face of the wave. Um, and um, for the recreational surfer, I, I try to keep a flatter deck and, and I put a beak on it and a tapered rail. Still have the tapered rail for some bite, but um, yeah, I do variations of it. As I said, for different customers, yeah. that, that's why I handshake. So the idea with that specific board as opposed to like a mini gun is that it's more maneuverable once you get it on the face. You could turn it. Uh, the reason why I shape, uh, I designed that board is not, that wasn't this, the, um, the reason for it. The reason was to, for the ease of paddle. It's got the more width. Um, so it is a 6.6 six and wide points up um, five inches. But it uh, paddles in like a 7.0. Yeah, it's got a lot of paddle power. Um, you can u- you can utilize the face more of the wave, especially in the out, out on the shoulder because it's got the width. Yeah, uh, and you can come back into it and you can really rip into the f- into the, the source of the wave, the pocket, because the tail's still it's only fourteen and the rail's really knifey back there. Um, the contour is uh, V, uh, mostly V, roll V nose with a slight double. Uh, through the tail, and it's really knifey, so you can still um, really turn it. Uh, you can give it some in, a, in the power of the wave. So it's got that it's got that paddle of a gun and manoeuvrability of a shorter board because the plan shape is uh, it, it's pulled in through the tail. So the uh, if I can explain it, the the plan shape um, has got a when you look at the plan shape, it's got a V. It's it's V'd. It's it's coming in quite substantially through the tail. So the sweet spots. It's, it's got amazing long, sweet, big oh, sweet okay. spot. You can surf it forward, and I set the fins up forward too. Okay. So you so you can you don't have to be in one spot to surf it. You can kind of move around on it. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, you referenced a couple of times that you do everything hand shaped and custom. What's your theory behind that, and has that limited your ability to scale your production? Um, the ability, the reason why I still handshape is because, um, as I said, nearly all my all my boards are custom custom made, and, and I'll be shaping a, a seven zero um, by twenty two by three and a quarter, and then the next board would be a five four by seventeen and a half by two. And um, each board, I don't do a whole run of six twos for shops, so um, that's one reason why I don't use a machine. If I was, then I'd be doing that. But um, all my boards are, all my boards are custom made, and um, quite frankly, uh, I've been hand shaping all my life, so I'm actually used to it. I'd be lost if I looked in front of a computer, yeah. and go, what do I do? Um, it's easier for me to pick up a planer um half an hour half an hour later i've got a pretty much a pre-shape in front of me from planning a board so i'm looking at a computer and 45 minutes down the track i'll be punching in numbers and working on a design that i don't know and then coming out differently to what i i wanted yeah with the planner so it's quicker uh, I, I actually for me it's quicker i'm yeah. i'm i shape two hand shapes a day Every day, um, for customers, and and another reason why handshape is, um, even though we do work with a petroleum-based product, um, by only handshaping two a day, it's it's a numbers thing. It's it's more sustainable than, um, you know, um, 
flooding the market with um, bores that they have to sell cheap because um, you know there's a there's a there's an indent you know, and uh, by doing hand shaping I'm I'm keeping the numbers down, um, and they're specific for a customer. They're not I'm not stock stocking boards for a shop that who knows is going to buy them. Mm. So every board is built for a purpose. Made to order. Made to order. What about the detail we were talking about the other night um, about going for a surf, coming in, and how that affects your personal energy and mood when you're shaping a board? Yeah. Um, well, actually, I just made myself a board a, a week ago, and I, I wrote it out here in Manly. Um, and I think the board was jinxed. I, I, I paddled out... My, my fiance gave me a foot massage and I, and I rubbed my feet together and I thought, oh, no, I've got oil on my feet. <laughs> so I still paddled out anyway because I was frothing to ride the board. Mm-hmm. Took off and I thought, hmm, that didn't feel the way I wanted to. And then I ducked over the wave and, and my back tweaked. And I thought, this isn't good. And then um, a wave broke in front of me. I bailed and the board hit me in the head. I thought, okay, this board's jinxed. So I, I anyway, uh, cut the story short. The board went straight in the shop. It was it was an experiment, and um, I just I've just been seeing uh, what a, what other shapers been doing uh, with certain rockers. So I, I thought I'd do the same thing, and I don't know whether it was board or the, the rocker or the design, but uh, the board didn't react the way I wanted it to, and it just kind of solidified um some other things about rockers that i've been doing which have been working and and uh it's just those little key moments that you as a shaper you think okay i'm not going to do that again um and it's it's um it's actually it's it's confidence you you feel like okay you're sure that this design that you're doing is working so you're sticking to that and um coming from the surf and going straight to the shaping bay, checking out the rocker and seeing, okay, why, why was it feeling like that and not doing that again and, and working on things that, have, that you've um, proven in the past and keep, keep focusing on um, those type of aspects and looking at why they work. And uh, that's probably the most important thing. Um, so you can... S- once you once you find out why why a certain design aspect works, uh, that's quite important because you can reproduce that type of uh, whether it's rocker or rail or plan shape, you can reproduce it, and and um, doing it over and over again, it just uh, solidifies what you're doing is is right. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I think about. Um there are a lot of shapers I talk to who actually don't surf anymore. Mm. Either they're older and they're, you know, they have injuries that they're nursing and stuff like that. Yeah. But I wonder how much that limits somebody's design evolution and craft. I think, um, um, yeah, if you've got a team rider that you can work with um, from a day-to-day basis, um, you can keep in touch okay. with design. Um, but from that, from that surf to... Surf to shaping bay, um, from surf straight into the shaping bay thing. It's it's that's quite convenient to yeah. have uh, as a shaper because it's it's straight from the 
straight from the, your own, from the horse's mouth, from the memory to the shaping bay, and that's I think that's quite important it's as a shaper, yeah. as a shaper, and having that that relationship and with a, another surfer on that on that level, um, that can really that can be beneficial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the value of this shaper shack thing? Part doing it during a surf contest. What's the value of it for you? What's the value of it for the public? For for the public, I think it's it's for me it's it's a it's a buzz. Um, just to, as I was shaping the board, I was going through the aspects of the board. Why why am I doing this to the board? I was I was kind of just talking my mind as I was shaping the board because I had my 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 microphone on. Um, why am I putting the roll V in the nose? Why is there a f- um, s- small flat for the centre? Why is there a um, V double for the tail? Why is it, you know, I was just going, I was, you know, there's a reason for everything as I was just uh, shaping the board and as I was shaping it, I was talking about why am I doing this to the board and and I was just trying to trying to get um, the, the crowd uh, who was watching me um, just... Um, get them educated about the this design that I was working on, uh, and that hopefully some of them of them got it um, because I designed the board for that type of wave. I don't know if people been in that situation where they've taken out a semi gun or a, you know board for bigger waves um, with a lot of water moving around and thought, gee, I wish I had a little bit more width, you know, or some a board that's going to pull me into the wave, or when I'm on the wave, it's not going to feel chattery or anything like that. So. Yeah, that's the why. That's why it was so good to get down there and show the public about this board, and, and just interact with the in, with the public about what goes in, into a board, how to how how to shape, how I shape a board, and it was good for them to watch me hand shape a board. It was really good. Yeah. Good reminder too that it's not just a commodity like a lot of your other toys are, that it's a skilled labor. Yeah, yeah, it's all hands on, and it's always going to be hands on, and. Um, I think uh, the um, the customer shaper customer um, is going to come back. It's go- it's going to make a, a comeback with the because I think customers are going to be you know want something a little bit more specific and they want to talk to a shaper. They want to know their shaper, uh, which is which is a good thing. And and um, it was it was like that in the past, and yeah. it'll be it'll be like that in the future too. What do you view as uh, the biggest currently the biggest threat to your business or concern? Um, I don't really think there is a a threat to my business. Um, if I was stocking a lot of shops, then I'd be worried. Um, I because I do low numbers, I I feel like there's no real threat for, for me, and all my boards are custom based. Um, but I mean, if if there was to be a threat, it would probably be the um, import boards. Um, but that hasn't really affected me now. Um, so I, where I'm at and where my where my customers are coming at, I, I don't think it, it's. I don't think there's really a threat for me. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, do you ride other shapers' surfboards? Yeah, yeah. Um, when I can, I, I I really like to ride other shapers' boards just to see where where my boards are at and 
also to get a different feeling, you know, think, oh, wow, that, that feels completely different to what I've been making. Um, not, not necessarily better, it's just a, a certain feeling, yeah. which is pretty cool. Uh, as a shaper, you think, okay, wow, that's, and it just uh, opens up uh, new uh, design aspects and, and um, you can also, by writing other, pe- other shapers' boards, you can also, you can get into their mind about, oh, okay, I see where he's going with that, um, how the board reacts and what, what he wanted or she wanted to achieve in, in, in that type of shape. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's beneficial for a shape to write other people's boards for sure. Good. Yeah. Cool. What was the last surfboard that you wrote? Like yesterday, whenever, whenever <laughs> your last surf was, was what type was, of board and where? Yeah, it was in the final of the Shapers event here in Manly. Um, it was a f- it was my gypsy model. It was a five. It's a it's basically a beach break board, just a conventional shore board, five ten nine eighteen and three quarters by no five ten eighteen seven eighths by two and three eighths. Got a low low soft rail, um, foiled nose and tail, single concave. Uh, quite deep for a tail. Um, it's just a short board. Uh, it's got a lot of lift and spark, um, but unfortunately there wasn't any waves coming through at the tail end of that heat. <laughs> I missed it, so I'm not putting you on I the spot. <laughs> I didn't even see it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a good board. It feels it feels great when, when there's a little bit of steepness in the wave and, yeah, it's real sparky and it, it, it pulls up the face nice and it rips down, the, rip, it rips into the face nicely and it's got a lot of flow and... Uh, yeah, it's a it's a high it's a high performance shortboard for me. And sometimes when I'm riding my um, my hybrids or my fishes, I'll get back on it, and I think I, it takes me a couple of ways to adjust. Um, but yeah, those boards have to be like that for them to react that way. And yeah, it was, it's a good board, and that's the last board I rode. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. 
And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. So my name's Alex Cruz. I am 26 years old. I am living on the Gold Coast, Queensland, and I work out of Tweed Heads um, at a place called The Glass Lab. What's the name of your label? Axod Surfboards. Axod. Yeah. How do you spell it? A C S O D. And um, it's actually an acronym for Alex Cruz Shapes or Die. <laughs> I never knew that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Uh, now, whenever anybody introduces you, do they always introduce you as Mitch Cruz's younger brother? A little bit. Sometimes, yeah. It's, it's slowly starting to change, I feel, though. Do you like it or not when they do that? I don't mind it. It's a, it's always a bit of an icebreaker for the, for the person meeting me. I think. Yeah. But um, definitely, you know, want to make your own path, and people recognize me for me, and rather than Mitch. But yeah, it doesn't phase me too much. Awesome. So, what did you shape today? Today, I shaped um, a new model I'm working on called the Slow Burn. It's um, it's pretty fresh. Like it's still in the R&D stages. I literally made it for this trip down. And um, it's like pretty much a squash down mid length or something. It's like mine's five, six, and I ride a six, one shortboard. Okay. Um, so squash that right down. Um, and then I put this little interesting bottom contour on it. What's called a hydro hull, which, um, I wasn't too familiar with until I read that uh, the Essential Surfing book. I haven't read it. It's like, um, I think it's from the 60s or something. I've seen Tyler Warren always posting photos from it, and I was like, what's this book? And um, I found it, and there's a bunch of like old sort of design stuff from that era. So chucked that on there, and it's just, just been testing that out on, on the way down, and it's been working really well, and... Knock two of those up. So what is a hydro hull? It's pretty much so uh, your, your hull bottom is just a domed bottom pretty much. So it's got the, the chimed rails and instead of it being completely domed to the edge, 
it has like a double concave scooped out in the middle along the stringer. So you got that chime on the rail and then the double concave running into the tail. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. What types of boards are you building in general? Um, majority of what I do is probably high performance short boards and I'm, I'm starting to get a bit more known for my twinnies and hybrid like s small fun board stuff. So, but majority performance shortboards is what I make. I mean, that area, the Gold Coast, is almost exclusively high-performance shortboards, right? Yeah, okay. pretty much. It's okay. pretty dominated by that, yeah. that scene. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Gold Coast is eight hours from here, drive or so? Yeah, give or take. Give or take? Yeah, depending on how bad those roadworks can get. Okay. <laughs> So it's a trek for you to come down here, and certainly as like kind of a newer board label, resource-wise, it's a investment of time and energy and everything. Why participate in the Shaper Shack? For me, it's just too good a platform not to really like. Really, I, I um, you know, there's a lot of eyes on the contest, and that seems to be where everyone I feel in the surf world's eyes are at. And for them to give guys like myself who are still quite a small brand and trying to make a name for myself the opportunity to showcase some of my boards and meet some other shapers in, in the industry. Like um, last year they had Wayne Lynch and some incredible dudes and even watch them shape. Um, it's just a, this really cool melting pot of creative minds and shapers. And it's just, yeah, I like being around that. and. What, what was your um, interest in getting involved in shaping? Well, my old man, actually. He, um, ever since I was a little grom, he was always tinkering around in the garage. And I think maybe that's why I like uh, Josh, Josh's stuff so much. It reminds me a bit of that. Josh Martin? Yeah. Um, so he would always be on the planer, messing around, making his own boards. He pretty much made most of my boards. Um, other than that, I'd ride secondhand boards or anything and um that definitely had my attention and my interest from like very early ages probably from six six years old he was doing that in the garage so and i got to probably 16 when i was like fuck and i grab the planer and have a little go and he's like sure it was sort of like um when you get your l plates and they take you for your first drive. He was like, don't do that. Like, oh, you're going to fuck it up. Um, so that's, that's where I feel like my, my true passion for it come from. And it's just sort of snowballed from there. So you've been building boards for 11 years. Yeah, a lot of bad ones to start. Sure. <laughs> and then um, uh, I guess out of like legit factories for probably, um, yeah, 10, 10 Maybe nine years. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, your boards are beautiful. Like aesthetically, the finishing is yeah. all really, really amazing yeah. and unique. They stand out. Um, who does all the finish work? Are you involved from beginning to end? Or are you just shaping the boards? I'm at the moment just shaping them. Okay. Um, uh, there's an incredible factory in South Tweed called the Glass Lab. They um, are pretty much, I think, in the southern hemisphere of the world, kind of like your Euroglass yeah. setup, like says myself, Hamo surfboards, um, Pizel's getting some stuff glass there, there's Channel Islands work, um, Stacy surfboards, and 
Sharpie, there's a, quite a few. Um, I'm probably missing a couple, but they, they're pretty renowned for high-quality manufacturing and finishing, and I'm pretty stoked to be able to put my boards through there for sure. Have you explored lamination and any of that stuff? Do you get uh, your hands dirty? Sometimes. Um, not, not as much as I probably should or would like to, but in the early stages when it was just myself and my old man, um, we were glassing, sanding, finishing them all in a little tin shed. But um, sort of when I first got into the industry, I was uh, – sweeping floors and just your general like little grommet at the factory rocking up um doing all the cleaning and then i'd done some filler coating for a couple years and after that what's called a pinholer so all the little air bubbles that open after it's sanded i was the guy filling them up (laughs) and yeah i i have been hands-on but now i i'm trying to just stay on the shaping side and do what i feel like i'm best at the mm. best part of the process. Mm. What's your ambition for the brand? Like as you proceed, where do you see the maximum amount of volume that you can output without, con- you know, um, jeopardizing quality and that sort of stuff? And I've definitely had the um, big ambitions and dreams of being like a like a Channel Islands or the next JS or something like that. But I feel the more I grow and learn in this industry the smaller I want to keep things. Really? Yeah. I um, I feel like I, I personally like to shape my boards and do all of them and enjoy the, the shaping process. So, yeah, I think at the moment I'm still quite small. Like I uh, currently do a bit of ghosting for JS as side work. So Finishing boards that come off a machine? or Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, um which pays the bills and that's really cool. And it's also learning for me too. Like they, they do such a good job up there. So getting to be amongst that, it's like, fuck, this is what it, what a big scale business looks like. So, um, yeah, I just think about that and I just go, fuck, it'll be a lot of stress. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You see all the moving parts and how many little systems are in place. Yeah. Takes a unique kind of mind to Mm. be able to pull all that stuff off, you know, big time. And it's not always about just building boards. Yeah, it's yeah. money and yeah. Uh, where do your clients come from? Uh, a lot uh, at the moment uh, in Japan. Um, I got a guy, Hiro is his name, from Hana Firm. It's a small little distribution business he has. And it'd probably be 80% of my business goes to Japan, wow. which is um, pretty cool. And then I get just um, regular customers I've had for since I started ordering customs. Um, Kira Surf Shop on the Gold Coast is stocking them and selling them. And they, those guys have supported me for a, a long time and done a lot of cool things. And then um, there's been a few other stores along the East Coast that have been on board and it's kind of fizzled out just because I'm a one-man band trying to service them. It's a bit of, bit of a uh, struggle for me, but... Um, but uh, that's pretty much the majority of my work at the moment and where it comes from. Um, what are your biggest concerns or fears for your business right now? It's just trying to get the message across that I do all kinds of boards, mm. I think, for me is my um, main concern. It's, it's, it's so categorised, I feel like, in the market that you're either 
a high performance guy, you're a mid length, you're making those beautiful boards, like album or someone, and they they're incredible. But I like to think of myself as pretty versatile, and I can do to all of it. And just I'm, I hope people can see see me as that. Yeah. So you can get a good good board for snapper, or you can get a really nice log and go surf Byron on it too. Yeah. Uh, do you ride other shapers' surfboards? I have, yes. And um, it can be quite humbling sometimes. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. I've uh, I'm, uh, been lucky enough to have Jack Freestone as a best mate, and we pretty much ride the same dimensions. And over the years, jumping on some of his JSs and his Hanleys and being going, fuck, that's the feeling I'm looking for, and mine aren't going like that. And, um, and uh, even with my brother throwing him a few under his feet and going, getting the, the honest feedback that they, those boys can give is quite a quite a slap in the face, but it keeps you hungry, keeps you wanting to make that magic board. But um, yeah, I'd probably, yeah, jumped on a few of Jack's boards and been pretty impressed by yeah. what other guys are doing. When you do have that experience, are you able to identify the variable in the board? S yeah, sometimes. It, it feels pretty noticeable like okay that's that's definitely got more volume up front or the sweet spots a lot larger um, but then looking at them in 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 my hands and having a good little feel um, it can be difficult too because I, I personally I'm really trying not to pull anything into the bay and measure stuff up and I feel like it's a bit of a cop-out for someone like me to just be measuring it up and being like, okay, I've just pretty much copied this guy's design and I haven't figured it out, you know what I mean? So I um, just by looking at it at the beach or feeling it under, under the arm in the garage and that sort of – I'll take that and try and apply that into my own stuff and work from there and feeling it out in my own designs. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's – like a, a DNA in a board that has nothing to do with the numbers really, you yeah. know? And so kind of yeah. trying to figure out what that DNA is and yeah. what the original design concept was yeah. that DH was thinking and mm. trying to implement. Totally. That's what you're yeah. looking for. It's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, final question is what was the last surfboard that you rode? The last one was a slow burn. Yeah. That I surfed earlier today and it was shit house and I had a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> But um, it's even Slater had a shocker today, I know. so you don't have to feel bad. Yeah, yeah, I know, poor, poor bloke, but still draws a bloody crowd to some one foot slot. Oh, I know, seriously, awesome. Is, is Mitch still in? Mitch is still going. Good. He surfs tomorrow, so be down there to cheer him on, and Good. hopefully he can take it all away. Right on. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Dave. You appreciate it. Um, I'm Phil Byrne. Um, I've been. Um, making boards under the label Burn Surfboards since 1977. And I'm Parrish Burn, son of Phil, making boards <laughs> under the Burn <laughs> Surfboards label Interall. For how long? <laughs> um, nine years. Oh, yeah. very cool. Uh, you're the first father and son duo we've had on the mics together. Yeah, yeah there's not, probably not too many around. 
No, you know, I, I don't know a lot of people who got into board building because their father was into board building, yeah. you know, well, and we don't see them in the same shaping bay together. Yeah, and probably most of the sons are too smart. <laughs> sorry, sorry, where did, where did you go wrong? Why didn't you steer him away? You tried. Did I he? tried yeah. to. I did. I did try. What yeah. did you want for him? What did you want him to do? Um, I would have liked to see him go further in his um, surfing career, but that's very tough. Um, and probably the best altern alternative for him would be to become a shaper and he's, and become, or, or he's still a really good surfer. So I think the two things together is a lethal combination in, in the industry we've got. Yeah. And I'm super, super proud. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, great. And, and we're going into it. Um, we're both really enjoying this new relationship of shaping together and developing together. And we're a bit of a team because he's focusing on the, the high performance stuff like, like at QS and, and uh, high end level uh, for a lot of good pros and stuff where I'm sort of focusing on the older guys sort of requirements in surfboards. So between the two of us, we're, we're covering the two genres and that in a really good way. Yeah. And that we, we um, give advice either way in technical things that he sees or I see in some of his boards and he sees in my boards. Interesting. Parrish, why didn't you uh, pursue a different career? What appealed to you about the career? Um, well, I, I, I did a lot of years on the Junior Series. I have a pretty strong professional surfing background. You know, I did the Australian Junior Series, um, finished in the top five. I was against guys like Julian Wilson, Wilco, um, Owen Wright, just to name a few. But, uh, you know, did the Junior Series, then onto the QS. I've always really been... Um, really been in touch with my surfboards and what I was riding and I've always watched dad from a young age it was just a passion of mine my life goal I told my grandmother when I was five years old what I wanted to do I wanted to surf and then I wanted to make boards mm. so got to a point I did a few years on the QS um, you know ended up around the 50s or something like that and then it got to my mid-20s and I sort of went well you know I've got a go down another avenue you know I, I want to start developing my shaping my shaping's taking more my time than my surfing and my um training and all that stuff like i just really started to get involved with the shaping and um that sort of aspect of the sport so it was time to stop competing professionally and uh you know just start shaping boards and um i kind of slipstream from that to working with Owen Wright, like Dad and our other shaper, Frog, had been working with him since he was eight years old. And at the time, he was just breaking onto the tour and I was just finishing. So I, it was great. I, I went on tour with him and we went around to all these CT events. And, you know, I was like kind of a guy in, in the pit crew there on site with him working on boards, dialing his boards in just the subtle changes we need for the right conditions. And then I'd relay that back to Dad and Frog and we would... Uh, all work together that way so that was another reason for that was all coming to head like Owen was just about to qualify and stuff like that so it was just the right time to slipstream into that shaper kind of surfer relationship I had with him interesting um I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this I have a theory that being a pro surfer actually isn't that great of a life like it's a pretty myopic singular focus life and it takes a super unique individual for um, to be like Kelly Slater, where you're on the road for 30, 40 years of your life, not really digging roots or growing roots in any one place. 
The other thing is, it seems like it's cool to see the world and that you would be real cultured, but it's not like you're going to Paris and going visiting museums and all that. You're coming to Manly and you're hanging out on the beach in Manly. <laughs> you're not taking in an opera. You yeah. know, you're you're so I think like to actually live the life of a board builder, you still get to surf a lot. You probably have a little bit more grittiness because you have to go through, you got to figure out accounting and you got to figure out like hardship in the business and I think that it actually develops and breeds more character and in the end, maybe even more fulfillment as a career path. Yeah, well, you know, doing the business and stuff, I always say, oh, just get me in the shaping bay. Shaping's the easy part, you Is know it? what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Mm. So, um, but yeah, the, the, it's a, you know, shaping's a great lifestyle, the shaping the boards and it's, it's really, what I love to do is like, say I want to make a new high performance model, for instance. I can work on it by myself solely. I'll, I'll do the whole thing myself, like back and forward, back and forward. I might get four or five boards to a point where I'm happy with it. And then I can dish it out to my top team riders and go, hey, I'm 95% here, I feel. Give me the extra 5% to get it to 100%. And that, that's what I like doing. I like to work with the top guys and just get those extra 1% and 2% out of the surfboards I want to make. So that that's that's great. Also, the, the lifestyle of a surfer, it, it might sound bad to say, but I feel like it's a very selfish lifestyle. It's all about you. You've got to worry about when you're surfing, when you're training, this and that. It's kind of, it is hard to grow, I feel, in a sense, especially being on the road three quarters of the year as well. Yeah. So I mean, I'm here for five days. And like, I'm on day three, just looking around going... I got things to do back at home. Like, what am I doing here? You know what I mean? Like, I've already said that and I've only been here a couple of hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, what'd you guys build today in the, or what'd you shape in the shaping bay? Yeah, well, like we were asked by Vistler, well, I was asked by Vistler to come and shape here. I shaped it last year and uh, I was just racking my brain, just trying to figure out what to do, you know? I, I did a, just a basic 511 performance shortboard last year and, uh, it just becomes a bit monotonous. It's what we do, like, you know, all day, every day, and with an audience, just like, hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. So I was trying to figure out what to do and got to, like, a week ago and I was just in the shop on the machine cutting blanks, designing some boards, and uh, I seen one of Tom Carroll's old boards up on the wall, a board that was shaped in 1981 for the uh, wave pool event in Allentown, Pennsylvania. The first ever wave pool event so i thought no that, that's probably a different design you know it's really made for that sort of surf you know which is small waves like manly kind of went on hand in hand a little bit so i got it down i had a look at it started measuring up and went you know what this is kind of progressive i can see similarities in the boards i make today in this boards the main one being the outline the outline just really struck me so i spoke to dad and i said hey I'll measure this thing up. Let's get it cut. Why don't together we shape this board at Manly? You know, like older generation, the, the actual main creator of the, the hand-shaped board versus the new sort of machine-shaped, you know, that sort of thing, and we'll just combine and do it together. It'll be really fun. Mm. We've never really done that before. We've never shaped the board together yeah. at once. So. What was the original... Uh, or do you remember the original kind of design theory when you built that board? Because nobody had surfed in a wave pool before, really. Totally. I remember it really vividly because okay. it, it was a completely different thing. And um, 
our factory evolved from the pro surfing thing back in those days of, of the early years, you know, the busting down the door sort of era. And um, Tom come on board uh, probably around about 79 or something like that. And he was a good mate of my brother's Chris, who was on the tour as well. And um, Tom's sort of got better and better and better and started to win world titles and stuff like that. And um, the, he's come to me and he's gone, I'm in this pool, wave pool. And I said, what, a wave pool? And he said, yeah, they're going to have a contest in a pool. And I thought, wow, that's really – so we we started thinking about what are we going to do with boards for that. This, and this is in 1981, you. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, everyone thinks wave pool, they think Kelly's wave pool or the Waco <laughs> wave pool. This is – Wave pool, wet and wild on the Gold Coast. Yes, very, very <laughs> basic wave pool. I know? was in the womb. Yes. <laughs> Literally yeah. at that time. But but it was like basically it was like a little trickle that had come in and like it was like knee high and they tried to do it so, you know, they could have a contest in it. Yeah. And we went – and the other thing, big thing was it was fresh water. It wasn't salt yep. water. So we sat down and we thought this is going to be really equipment-based if we can come up with something and uh, that that we really research the way we're going to do this and build this board and um, and go through the whole thing. It's going to give Tom a pretty good advantage. And he wasn't that strong in really small surf. Uh, it's not really his forte, although he worked really hard on it through his world champion years and won a lot of contests on small wave in small wave situations. But that was due to the fact that we did work so hard on his small wave boards and, and like to try and get him up to speed and, and get him that advantage. With that board, we went, okay, first of all, it's in, in fresh water. We've got enough flotation. We've got to try and make the thing float. Okay, it's going to have to be super, super light. And we went shorter, wider and lighter. So we started saying, how can we cut as much weight out of the board as we could? And you've got to remember in those days there was no epoxies. It was all polyester, all old school, and there was no new materials or anything like that. We were just fresh off the twin fin era, into the thruster era and very basic board building. And uh, we've come up with the idea. We went, okay, let's do a stringless board because the waves are going to be weak as he's not going to break it and we'll glass it as light as we possibly can and they'll give it enough strength so he's just not going to destroy it in one wave. So we sort of balanced that out and we went stringless and then with the fins we actually... And this was before there was all the fancy carbon and inlay stuff and all that. We and fin systems. And <laughs> fin systems, although they were fixed fins. So we decided to cut the inside out of the fins with a jigsaw, replace it with foam. So the fins in themselves were lighter. So we put foam, inserted foam fins in the board as well. So the, in its day, that board under your arm, you just everyone just went, whoa, this thing's so light, you know, and... We designed the board also, little different things um, in the rails and in the bottom. The bottom was a bit straighter to allow more drive on on like such a dead wave because mm-hmm. basically they were surfing almost like a boat wake. So um, we put all those things together and it worked pretty good and he got pretty good results from that board. I think he'd done two wave pools in it and got good results. So it was really um, stuff that... I really loved doing back in those days. Like, innovating. Yeah, it's just uh, – it's not so much innovating. It was like, okay, what's the job task we've got here? Problem like, solving. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and you look at it and like – and it's the same for a shaper that's doing boards for guys at that level. Wherever they're surfing at, they go, okay, we're surfing bells. What are we going to do for bells? We've got to do this and we've got to do that. We've got to pull the tails in slightly. You're going to go an inch longer and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. Straighten the board out a little bit. And then all those little subtleties – provide the quivers and then the surfer goes and surfs in it and then he gets the result that he's aiming for because the equipment supported him. Right. And so it's um, 
that's to me is such a rewarding part of being a shaper. Yeah, the problem solving. Exactly. And you're right. Like Parrish was saying, it's a in that world, it's a game of millimeters at the end. You know, it's just refining those little tiny things for that specific solution. Yeah. To give them that little bit of an advantage. And the other thing is, it's a game of confidence. And if the guys go for a free surf just before the event, they go, "This board's sick. I'm stoked." The equipment thing is taken out of the whole equation and they can focus totally just on what's going on the heat, where the waves are coming from and all that. So their equipment thing's dialled in, it's done. And they're not carrying that into a heat. A lot of surfers that haven't got their equipment right carry that that legacy into the heat. And it's like it's mucking around with their head and they're going, oh, this board's a little bit this and it's not doing that. And I'm, oh, I just missed out on that wave. I could have done better. And all this stuff's rattling around while they're out in their heat. So their confidence level is not as good, and surfing is basically a confidence sport. Yep. Uh, I'm curious. You guys are busy. Why participate in an event like this? I, th- I think it's it's amazing. You know, um, like Visla do such a good job getting everyone on board, and it's great just to, to be with with a bunch of shapers. You know, we don't get to interact too often. You know, we're generally locked away in that blue room. 99% of the time. So it's just good to get on the beach and see what's going on and talk story with the other shapers, get in there and do your craft. And actually, to be honest, it's great to get some like some recognition to be for being a shaper because, you know, usually it's just the surfer out there riding the board where, like Dad said before, there's so much that goes into creating a board for a top athlete that, yeah, it's nice to get a little sort of pat on the back for it too. I, I think I like the thing that Vistler's doing as far as um, it's great to have that, that thing where the shapers are there because the shapers have always been in the background. Yeah. But Vistler's pulled the shapers forward, put them on the beach so the general public can go, oh, these are the guys that are shaping all these guys' boards. And I think that is such a plus. The other thing I like about, and the reason to answer your question coming up here, I've always been in that mind. Again, I come from the era of busting down the doors. I lo- and regardless of how professional surfing's got, um, I still think there's always a, an area where you're going to contribute probably more than you get back to put something back into surfing. And I like that Vizzler's doing that and I like the fact that I can help do that as well. Yeah. You know, like financially it's probably, you know, you go, well... You're missing a, a day of work. <laughs> you're missing a day's work, whatever. But the fact is if I can put in some effort that's going to help this sport and help the whole thing... Um, I'll do it yeah. every time. Yeah. And that's what I like about what Vistle is doing right now compared to all of the other contests. Good. Yeah, it's a different contest. Mm. Like I have, to be honest, no interest in going and hanging out at a surf contest, you know. Mm. And this I've enjoyed. Like it's actually really enjoyable. Yeah. The vibe is different. And really when you talk about surf culture, mm. it's board building. Like board building is the essence of surf culture. We couldn't have surfing without yeah. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sure. it's important, I think, to showcase that it's not the surfboard isn't a commodity. It's the platform. It's like this, the the board builders are like, oh, we've created jazz. You guys all go and play. Yeah, that's what it basically is when you think about it. Yeah. And um, without the board, you can't even surf. No. And back in the early days, Duke and those guys, they just rode it, rode a bit of timber. Yep. But uh, it was that first idea that someone had to go, let's cut down that tree and paddle out in that thing and ride that bit of timber. That's the platform it started. Totally. And we're still in that platform now, but it's not just a bit of timber. Well, you've um, experienced a lot of kind of shifts in the industry and the business mm-hmm. over the decades. I'm curious for both of you to answer this, actually. What are your current biggest fears and concerns about your business? 
What do you uh, feel is a threat? Um, we feel that we haven't got any real concerns for our business because uh, we've already evolved where we were a really big board maker and doing you know like big number boards through the years, like especially when Tom was world champion and stuff like that. But um, a while ago when um, Parrish was first starting to get into shaping and we've, we, we've got to the stage where we went, well, where's surfing going and what's happening and then what's really important? And I got to the stage where in my own personal feelings was that, that the real most important thing was was just doing the craft, enjoying your own surfing and living that life that we're so lucky to be living. And sometimes I think board makers and everyone that's involved in the surf industry, and I've seen it even the guys in the clothing industry, they all start off as shapers, or not shapers, but surfers. And um, they get that involved that they get removed from the actually thing that they love. They start surfing less and less and less and less. And I was one of them. I was doing that. I was, this business was so big, I was employing 22 people, and all of a sudden I was driving to work one day and went, I'm hating this. What is going on? This is not what I wanted to yeah, do. Yeah, the waves were pumping this morning. The waves are pumping and I've oh, got a meeting with a bank manager. Yeah. yeah that's ridiculous. Yeah. And um, so, and the other thing we saw that what was going on, that, that surfing was becoming really removed from the general public in a way that, that was like the stars and then there was the people all behind it and there was this big gap. Yeah, the WSL was really pushing that, you know. It came into people's bedrooms in Australia at the time too. Like it just got put on like... Star and stuff like that, Foxtel kind of thing. And, you know, that was becoming a big factor to that whole, you know, you can sit down at night time and watch TV and, and surfing's on. You know, you watch an event in South Africa or France or something. Mm. Um, so what we, just, what we ended up doing, the, we ended up restructuring ourselves, getting away from that big board maker and setting up, we set up a shop in Thoreau. reason was the shop was 300 metres from the beach, 200 metres from our house. And everything was really, really easy. Don't even have to get in a car to go to work. Don't Amazing. have to get in a car to go for a surf. Amazing. Yeah, so I ticked that box. And we went, that's one thing. And the next thing we done, we went, well, let's have our surfboard factory so all the surfers can approach us and make it a lot easier. So we put half the factory into our retail store. So we had, we've got windows around our milling machine and we've got windows around the shaping. So yeah, like guys, sh shaping for me today was nothing. I'm, I'm shaping in a glass Booth every all day. the time, every day. So that's day. your daily bay. That's it's not my, just for show. No, that's my daily bay. Yeah. Got it. So yeah. not so much class, but just a little peephole <laughs> where people can interact. Sure. Yeah. So, so we wanted to get back to that. So we had connection with the surfers, and then we thought, you know what? If as long as you're producing really good product, if you're making the, as good a surfboard as you can, and those boards are all going well, you're always going to have work yeah. as a shaper. If you've always got work as a shaper, you can survive. You're not going to make a lot of money, but you can survive and you can go surfing and balance your life out and have a surfing cultured life where you're surfing every day, you're involved with what's going on with surfing. And that's the thing I I um, look at now and I'm, I'm looking at it going, that's what's really important. And um, I see Vizzler's concept in a way of, they look like they're moving back to that a little bit yeah. with what the concept is with the, with the contest here. And uh, I, I think if other board makers uh, listen to this podcast, uh, I think the best thing you can do is get back to your roots and then earn money from your roots because that's the main deal. Yeah. My, my philosophy on the whole thing is the more I'm surfing, the better I'm surfing, the better my boards are coming out. You know, I'm so more in tune with, you know, riding the boards that 
in the bay it carries across and also to the customer too because i'm in the water with the customer i'm yeah. fully approachable all the time you know guy paddles out oh what are you right no oh, that looks pretty good i'll come check me out you know and then it's it stems from that so it's back to the original roots of what we're doing making surfboards for surfers yeah and answering your question that's why we're not scared about the future of the industry because we're we're setting ourselves up that we're insular around our own energies yeah. you know that's the way we want to be um that's actually a perfect segue to to what my next question was which is do you ever ride other shapers surfboards or how often do you yeah I, I really really got involved with that especially when i was competing just you know you, you, you try something and you know obviously you've got your base with your designer right or your shaper and you know that's basically everything that's what you know that you know it backwards but if you can ride another board and there's like that one or two percent in another board that you can bring back to your shaper and imply like this did this really good you know like can we put that into my go-to board and then that's how you get that little one and two percent you know I, I think it's super important to ride other boards and today like i'm not competing but as a shaper i check out everyone's boards and i ride other people's boards and stuff like that and it's just just those little like things that might spin you off to a new a new mm. sort of break down a door bust down a door in a new sense for your own designing you yeah. know if, if you're just riding your boards all the time you're you're thinking you've got the best stuff you got the blinkers on you gotta open your eyes and look at everyone else you know so yeah. and that's how the, the the craft evolves too it doesn't evolve by looking at your own stuff yeah definitely yeah. not it's like a big symposium that's rolling around on itself all the time and a lot of those say big success a lot of successful shapers through the years the ones i've noticed that are crashed and burned the ones that have got put those blinkers on and stop looking at other people yep and there are cases of that and yeah. uh right through the thing and parish is right that when you ride other people's boards and look at other people's boards you do pick that little thing out that can just change something you're doing and can spin you in a completely different direction you're not really copying anything you're just borrowing one little piece right. and the whole of evolution of surfboard design is being shapers of the world borrowing other people's stuff that's totally. how the whole thing totally. that's the whole thing goes that's how it design all, in general yeah, yeah. That's, Way that's, outside of yeah it's like you're putting together your own your own song yeah. and but you're borrowing things from that oh that guy does that really got that guy's a lot so in a way you could borrow five different things off five different shapers and incorporate that in what you do as well and come out with a big hit well look at the basics you know there's tail shapes yeah tail shapes come from a different shaper designer yeah, yeah. channels someone put channels in a board and went these work exactly. really well and then everyone yeah. does it yeah so it's it's across the board you know and it's it's how it evolves how the sport gets better and grows yeah final question what was the last surfboard that you rode the last surfboard I rode was a Sugar and Spice 510. What is it? Explain the design and where'd you ride it? Um, what condition? That's funny you say that, actually, because that was probably the first board design that me and Parrish for a long while have really got... Agreed on. Agreed on and got <laughs> in together. Uh, you guys seem so agreeable. I was, I was going to comment on the fact I don't see fathers and sons working together in uh, harmony, look, ever. Well, it usually ends up in someone just throwing the tool down, walking out. That's why I started shaping, because he wouldn't listen to me when I wanted to be civic board. So I went, you know what, I'm going to do this myself. <laughs> So anyway, the so who's the sugar? You said sugar and spice, spice. model. Yeah, who's the sugar? Who's the spice? Ah, uh, well, uh, the sugar I'd and spice. I'd be the spice. I'm cranky <laughs> than him. 
But it actually come from – it started off from a guy called Brendan Short that does all our, a lot of our website stuff and okay. he's our art director sort of thing. And he was away in the Mentowies and he saw a board that he liked and looked at and he said, you guys should be doing something similar to this. And I went – But it stemmed from – we had a new, another model, like a modern twin fin. It's yeah, a modernised yeah, yeah. twin fin that Brendan loved. It was his go-to oh, yeah, board yes. for two yeah, years. Yeah. And as you know, with twinnies, they're super fun to ride. They're easy to paddle. They're down the line fast and everything. But if you get a critical section – you can't give it 100%. It's yeah. a twin fin. Yeah. So he come back and said, oh, i seen this board, you know, like had a lot of similarities to the twin fin I, I ride. How can we make it so I've got everything I love in the twin fin, but I can hammer my turn and push 100% when mm. the section arises. So that got us back to thinking. You and, know what I mean? and I'm the older surfer still trying to surf like a young guy, so I immediately got interested too. And I said, I need paddle power. You know, and the twin fins that we make, they're so like bargy and wide and, and thick. Carry and flat, a lot of volume. Par- carry a lot of volume. You can paddle them really easy, and because there's hardly any nose entry in them, so um, we sort of started piecing this whole thing together. That we went, okay, I want this, and Paris is putting his performance things in, and we're sort of collaborating on the whole thing. We just got to the stage where we had this board that was a bit different. The wide point was up a bit. The foil was, the thickness was right up under your chest so you could paddle, the nose was flatter. And yet the tail end of it was like for a pro. Mm. So you had this board you can paddle and then when you stand up and start surfing, if the wave starts cranking off down the line, you can start working that thing. A little bit different because you've got that flatter nose but you still got that availability and you just have to adjust your surfing that little bit. And that was the last board. I, that's the last board. The I last wrote. and only board he's <laughs> yeah. been riding for the last... Eight months. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Amazing. And I've had guys go up to me and say, wow, your surfing's improving so much. And I'm going, wow. what? You know, that, <laughs> that board, to be honest, goes back to one of your other questions. That board is probably, it's our best-selling summer board this summer. And uh, it went back to that thing of dad being in the water in it, me being in the water, and people going, what are you riding? That looks really fun, really mm. interesting. And it turned into our best mm. model. We didn't really push it too hard advertising, no. but... Uh, it just stemmed from us being in the water and riding the boards. And it was for awesome. everyone. Yeah, it suited everyone. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, you guys. Too easy. No worries. I hope that you're enjoying the Shaper Shack series. I will be back tomorrow with the final installment, part four, which includes, let's see who the Shapers were for part four, Shima Buttonshaw, Luke Daniels, Gunter Roan, and Ryan and Stuart Campbell. So come back, check that out, and we'll close out the series. And until then, this is David Scales for Surf Splendor, hoping that you're taking time to get in the water, share a couple of waves, and as always, shredding on.
And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.